Well, hello and welcome to episode number 453 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos, and in this week's packed show, we chat to squadron leader Chris Wilson about the upcoming RAF Cosford Air Show. And in the commercial news, a fight breaks out between a Boeing 777 and an Airbus A321. So, joining me across the village over in sunny Suffolk here is, of course, the man who's in the Master Suite studio, as always, it's Matt Smith. <laughs> Sorry, you said the word sunny there. I don't. I don't... Is it different oh. in your part of the half mile up the road? No, than, just, than the... Just, <laughs> I just looked out the window. It is, it is oh, okay. relatively clear outside. For All a right, no, fair enough. All right, if you say so. <laughs> yes. How, how are things, Mr S? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not really much to report. Uh, busy old week at work. Busy, busy, busy. Nice weekend planned, though, so uh, looking forward to that very much. Good, good. Loving the background music, by the way. Jolly good, jolly good. Glad to hear that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's back again with us this week. He's uh, he's probably, uh, he may have logged some more air miles, but he might be logging some more air miles next week. And it is, of course, the British Airways aficionado, Neville Bounds. Yes, no flying so far this week, but next week it's all changing because... Uh, I'm off up to Edinburgh for a couple of days uh, and it just so happens that uh, Carlos is going to be in the same area. So uh, what we thought we might do um, is trying to uh, just a bit of a meet up uh, between us uh, and rather just walking through the city centre, which is perfectly nice. We thought, why not uh, go to the Museum of Flight at East Fortune? Now, I've been there. Uh, in 2015, which seems ages ago now, I must say, and I think Matt's got some pictures of uh, what all that looks like. It's a great day out, actually. So what we thought we'd do, we'll take uh, the camera and the fluffy mic with us, and we'll do some interviews with folks, hopefully Ooh, around the museum. Of course, uh, that is one of the first production Concords there. That's uh, uh, Golf Bravo. Uh, sorry, uh, yes, it's B O A A. It's now that's right. Yes, so uh, Alpha Alpha is based there. That's a very good tour, actually. Uh, around the aircraft um, so if anyone is in that part of the world uh, just about half an hour outside of Edinburgh city centre uh, please do come along uh, Carlos and I will be there from probably around about 11 to 11.30 something like that I would imagine so we'll be looking forward to seeing folks there uh, but we're going to be generating quite a lot of content for the show as well which is the other reason that we're going so uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the museum again and the conversations we've had with the staff at the museum so far have been extremely positive they've been very welcoming indeed so uh, can't wait to go up there and see the folks there yeah. sounds amazing sounds i know it's, it's one of those one of those strange weird times when both mine and nev's schedule lines up in the same part of the uk well i mean you say that but i mean never's had to alter his schedule slightly well, slightly alter schedule yeah <laughs> bless him he's, he's done well but uh, no looking forward to that next wednesday and uh, also joining us back again this week and it's great to have him back on the show as always it's the fourth member of our hosting fantastic team it is of course armando hey guys how's everybody doing today all good all good that's good i'm glad you're I'm glad you responded, Carlos, because that's my public service announcement for the week. Uh, I have begun planning Carlos's trip to the United oh. States. Um, so uh, the first thing we've actually already got planned, so a little housekeeping here for the, for the show, is Friday the 19th of May at Noda Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we're going to have a little meetup. 
uh, it's going to be us and the APG team. Dr. Stat's going to be there. Probably some of the uh, loyal uh, APG listeners. Captain Jeff's probably going to try to come up if he's got the day off. So Nota Brewing Company, Charlotte, North Carolina, 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday the 19th. And if you are a listener on the East Coast of the United States and you would like to join up, if you've got access to an airplane, you want to fly down here in North Carolina, um, have plane, we'll travel, we'll, uh, we'll go meet up for lunch somewhere. There's a bunch of really good barbecue restaurants here in North Carolina or aviation museums, flying museums that uh, we can all link up as long as the weather is all right. So Sounds amazing. Sounds just a few amazing. weeks away now, huh? Yeah. So exciting. Honestly. So we were exciting. having a chat beforehand. Carlos is off camping. I'm very I'm even more excited to hear about that. That's gonna be so much fun. I know. I know. Yeah, the, the I'm gonna expose Carlos to air camping. So there's uh, on the twentieth and twenty first of May is the Flying Horseman Ranch Flying. And that's exactly what it, it it is exactly what it sounds like, which is a bunch of vintage aircraft. It's a uh, 2,800 foot grass strip on a on a slope on the side of a hill, and every, everything from uh, Stinsons to Piper J3 Cubs, and we'll probably get mostly tail draggers, uh, and then we're just going to camp in the woods for you know a couple nights and eat some barbecue, get some pancakes and eggs and and bacon in the mornings and, and hot coffee, all provided by the Flying Horseman Ranch. Um, big fly in there. So again, if you've got access to an airplane and you're comfortable landing in uh in short grass strips surrounded by power lines and trees <laughs> oh then uh, you're more than welcome to do that lovely <laughs> what could possibly go wrong oh uh, I, can't, I can't wait i can't wait i'll bring the beers i'm on though i've got two suitcases at like the lounge so i can bring over uh only a six pack because it is a piper cub and we don't have a lot of room <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, right, okay. hip flask four pack then. you guys have them in four packs over there right not six packs yeah, yeah. Oh, that depends. Yeah. Last it is. <laughs> so we have got a special guest uh, joining us on the show this evening, but we're going to introduce him in just a second after we say hello to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Going to start at the top of the list, Richard Adams. He's in there nice and early this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. Uh, Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. He's probably gone off for a beer. Yes, he has. He's got beer. <laughs> Uh, we've got Mazus, our local listener, Mazus Karim. Good to see you in the chat room as well. Uh, just scrolling down, we've got Hobby Time. Hello to you. Welcome on to the show. Jonathan Warner, our resident uh, military aviation photographer. Jonathan's in there as well. Nick Codling's in there, our, one of our producers of the show. He's keeping an eye on us, expect, as well. Uh, Dirk S., hello to you. Bill is in there as well. Uh, good to see you in there, Bill. Uh, Masha, hello to you Masha hope the weather's nice across where you are in sunny Europe I hope it is Mark Priestley, hello to you as well Jenny in Rome over in Italy good to see you in there Jenny as the, well. the clues in the name there, Carlos I, I, bet, she's, uh, I, bet, she's, I bet she's got good weather over there it's always good weather in Italy mm. and uh, Lee Davis yes, he's, he says yeah. he's been here, been here since 8am wow, that is dedication isn't it blimey <laughs> dedication it is don't forget if you're listening to our voices on uh, the audio podcast and you want to find out what oh how we look really no don't flesh, don't uh, stay stay take, in the world i have a face for radio keep it keep it take there. yourselves over to our youtube page just check out plain talking uk on youtube hit the subscribe button and the bell icon to be notified when we are live and recording new episodes as we are right now it'd be great to have you in the chat room so, this year, for the first time, we are, as a show, going to our first um, 
well, it's our first outing to RAF Cosford, the air show at Cosford this year. It's going to be our first trip there this year. Uh, our first it's our first air show, air isn't show. it? It's our first, well, yeah, actually, well, yeah, it will be our first air show for the year, actually, yeah. Uh, me, Matt and Nev will be heading there this year for um, the day. And we're going to um, hope to uh, get some great content for the show. And we thought, what better way to uh, tell everyone about what's going on at the show and to have someone... Who knows what he's talking about when it comes to <laughs> the Royal Air Force Cosford Air Show. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome onto the show uh, his squadron leader, Chris Wilson. Welcome onto the show, Chris. Good evening, everybody um, involved and everybody listening. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I should just point out that the person who does know about the air show couldn't make it tonight, so you've got me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. So, how, so anyway, thanks for joining us, Chris, and thanks for coming on this evening to uh, to talk to us about the air show. So before we uh, before we get into the kind of ins and outs of the air show and what goes on there, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you do within the Royal Air Force. Uh, well, I've served now for just over 31 years. Um, started life as, as um, what we used to call an airman, um, and we now call them aviators, and we've had a name change. Uh, and I commissioned probably uh, to become an officer about 12 years into my career. Um, I've done various jobs in the UK and, uh, and around the world, um, but latterly, for the last few years, I've been a media officer, or I am the media officer, at RAF Cosford day to day, but then that means I'm also the media officer for the Cosford Air Show. Uh, from anybody listening from across the pond, Amanda will know uh, it's it's a, the equivalent of what you would call public affairs in the US. Nice. Um, so my job day to day, when I'm not involved in airshow business, is um, I'm just really involved on a, a regional level about you know RF Cosford, what it does, um, trying to sell that to the public and talk to the public about what we do at Cosford. Um, you know, talk to the press sometimes and things like that, and just general generally deal with engagement in the local area. So with the, uh, the air show itself then, Chris, you know, um, obviously the planning goes, I'd imagine, goes into effect probably a year in advance, I'd imagine. Is that, is that kind of where it sort of starts with the air show planning? Yeah, we, we normally get, give ourselves maybe two weeks to a month off after the air show finishes. We'll go through a phase, of, as you probably understand, where you, 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 you get around a table and you look at all the lessons identified from the previous show, what went really well, maybe what didn't go quite as well as you would have liked it to have done, um, what, what smacked you around the face that you didn't see coming at all. Um, and you sit down and you, you work out what th those things were and, and how you're going to change things for next year. And then pretty quickly, yes, you start to get into the planning for the next year's show. So it's quite relentless, really. And one, one sort of slightly slightly off-piece sort of question, really, Chris, for me, obviously, um, you know, we've had the pandemic. That will have had a significant impact on uh, presumably a couple of years of not being able to put shows together. Is this, is this the first or second year since you've been able to sort of come back, if you like, all bells and whistles? Yeah, so this will be the second year we've been back since the pandemic, but it's the first year since the pandemic when we've had what we would consider to be a proper planning cycle right um the decision for last year's air show in 2022 was actually made quite late in the day so where we would normally have had maybe the best part of nine months to put things in place we did it in about five wow and those of you who are aviation enthusiasts <laughs> will either know or at least understand that there are probably certain key points along a nine-month period where certain things have to happen um for an air show and before we'd even announced, we'd missed some of those 
key points. Wow. Um, so we were on the back foot straight away. So it's not the first air show since the pandemic, but it's the first one where we will have had a, uh, a proper planning cycle in place. Love that. Love that. So I've, I've seen the videos online, uh, Chris, and I've, I've seen, obviously, uh, you know, reports from previous years' shows, and you guys look like you have a fantastic lineup of of display acts and stuff you know on the on the show day and that but how how do how does it go i mean how do you get i mean do you get is, are the display teams mostly all royal air force display teams or do you do you you obviously get display teams from other kind of um at, you know aerial kind of display teams in yeah not the last one um, you got me? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I think so we're back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I saw. I, I work at cost. I live in. I live in North Wales when I'm not at work. So um, I should have probably mentioned that. Really, deepest darkest Wales. Um, <laughs> but we should be fine. We should be fine. Um, so you'd like to think, with it being the last Royal Air Force air show in the calendar, that you'd automatically get every single asset that the Royal Air Force has. But of course, you know, you, you know that that's not always really possible. The, the, the fleet of aircraft we have are, are very busy and are out there doing jobs on a fairly regular basis. And sometimes when you think you've got an aircraft at the last minute, you don't have it and, and vice versa. Sometimes you get something at the very last minute. So we try and have a healthy mixture of, um, you know, the, the Royal Air Force fleets, um, aircraft from other nations, uh, whether that be civilian or military. And then of course, some of the, the um, privately owned civilian aircraft from around the UK as well. So it's, it's a healthy mixture. And, you know, you're normally aiming to have, if things have gone well, 20-odd displays um, at our air show. That's what we'd aim for. So in terms of, I mean, a lot of, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of changes over the last um, few years, especially. I'm sort of thinking, uh, uh, without wanting to go into too much detail, obviously we've had um, a, a fairly big incident not that long ago, which will have undoubtedly impacted how the air shows are, are run. I mean, what sort of restrictions do you face now based on, on that in terms of uh, area that, um, you know, like... Um, uh, what's the the word I'm looking for here, guys? You're probably sharper at this than, than me. Mean, like, look at the crowd line, and yeah, things. crowd lines and things like that. I mean, have you had to make any alterations based on on those changes? I think for a number of years now, we've always kept aircraft, you know, that the line on, along which they display uh, a good distance back from the crowd line. You know, I, I, I watched the program on telly, and you guys will probably have seen it from. I think it was Farnborough back in the fifties when an aircraft went in and the engine came away and you know, went into the crowd, um, you know, those days, thankfully, are long gone. Um, so, yes, we do keep the aircraft quite far, far back from the crowd line. But, of course, what you the biggest change I think that we saw was, was of course, post Shoreham. Yes. Um, that really changed a lot of things in terms of the way aircraft display in the UK. Um, so you'd have what you'd almost call like a high energy box where a certain aircraft can display only within a certain area. Um, and... Not only is it back from the crowd line, but uh, as an airship organiser, you have to, um, you absolutely have to make sure you do everything possible to make sure that nobody is under the area where the aircraft is displaying. Yeah. yeah. So if if you um, if you maybe have people who live in a local village, and an aircraft would have traditionally in the past done something that would have gone into um, you know the the 
um, the outskirts of a village mm. and, and people would maybe sit in their gardens and watch this happening. Nowadays, it's incumbent upon us to make sure we do all we can to, to, to ensure that nobody's uh, under where the aircraft would be displaying. And I mean, safety, obviously, I mean, it's always absolutely. been like absolutely 100% sort of like, you know, paramount. Absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. And to be fair, in everything we do, that's that's the watchword yeah. um, is safety. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the second one after that is enjoyable. We want to make sure it's enjoyable for as wide a range of people as possible who are going to come to the show. But overarching with every single thing, it is it is all about safety. So perhaps we perhaps we should uh, move on now uh, to the show itself. I mean, I'm really excited to be coming along with the the team to to come and watch. We've got a yeah, it's going to be a, a great uh, day. Uh, what have we got to look forward to, Chris? Well, so far we've um, we've announced, you know, the, the the what you would maybe consider to be the usual RAF displays, the the Typhoon, um, the BBMF, and we've just announced the Chinook yesterday. Um, they finally had their uh, public display authority uh, um, yesterday, so that they've announced now as well. Uh, we've got the Rolls Royce Spitfire and Mustang displays. Oh, nice. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now, really. Sorry, yeah. We've got the Catalina and, and various other bits, uh, the B 17 Sally B. So we've got loads and loads of really interesting bits and pieces. Um, but there's aircraft I know we're looking at who I can't talk about because I can't say whether they're definitely coming or in what format, if they are coming, they will display. So. There's an awful lot that we have got, and there's more that we were going to get, but I couldn't talk about it right now. Okay. Oh, that's all. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, teasing the thing. Now, Mr. Warner has just said in the chat room here, he's really, and I, I'm going to absolutely butcher, butcher this. He said he's really looking forward to the, is, the, is it the Petrule Suite? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. I've missed the Swiss up. I can't believe that. You've asked me to announce what we've got, and I've missed the Swiss. <laughs> No, Remember, like... I said at the top of this, this, the, this, the program, you didn't have the person you were talking about. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, sorry, I just randomly <laughs> forgot those six F5s. Um, yes, so um, yes, we have the Swiss, and, and actually, what's interesting this year for us is we're used to having the Red Arrows, but this year we've got the Red Arrows, we've got the Swiss display team, and then of course on top of that we've got the Jordanian Falcons as well. Oh, wow. So actually, we're quite excited to have three separate nations um, display teams, two of which, of course, are a fast jet so it's going to be, yeah it's going to be a very good uh, show this year I'm so excited it's going to be it's going to be absolutely fantastic now uh, Armando I know you're uh, you, you you're involved quite a lot obviously because you you've been like uh, involved with like Reno air races and things like that I mean there's some uh, major logistics obviously involved in stuff like this isn't there Armando Yeah from from a couple of different standpoints in my career my 30 years of flying um, air shows and, and displaying our capabilities to the public was one of my highlights. It was the, the, the most fun, some of the most fun times I ever had in the United States Air Force was actually traveling to air shows, specifically traveling to foreign air shows like Cosford, uh, Riyadh, Farnborough, um, because it was just a really unique opportunity for us to display our capabilities, which, you know, I mean, you could nowadays, you can YouTube everything. But it was really that face-to-face -face interaction with the with the public, and as a media officer, Chris, I, I I know you understand how important this is to have the crews, the maintainers, the engineers, the support, everything that goes into a flying operation, to have that that unique opportunity to 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 be face to face with the crowds and those aviation enthusiasts, and especially the kids. Right? It's always really that that's 
that's the hardest questions always came from like our, our show listeners, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that the aviation enthusiasts that know how many fan blades there are in the second uh, stage compressor uh, to, to my aircraft engine. And that's the thing that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know, I, I know for me, it was a highlight now for you uh, as, as a media officer, as a critical part of this air show, what is What does this mean? to you, what is the most rewarding part? What's the most challenging part uh, for yourself, for the base as a whole? I think the most rewarding part for me, and uh, you know, it, it'll probably sound like a horrible cliche, but I think it echoes what you've just alluded to there, Amanda, which is, um, is when you see a young person climbing to a cockpit and you just see a spark go, you just see something in them yeah. where they suddenly, you can almost see that they, they, they suddenly realize what they want to do. And that might be the cockpit itself. It might be the fact that, you know, they met one of your crew or one of your engineers and they suddenly realize that standing next to an Osprey and speaking to somebody that they wanted to become an aviation or an aeronautical engineer. I think for me, it's, it's, and I've done about, I think, 11 air shows now for Cosford. I've worked at it. And it's just seeing those young people who are so excited by what's going on in the air, all the things happening on the ground that are aviation related. That's just... You get a buzz from seeing somebody getting that buzz. And, of course, one of the nice things you see from that also, you see two things, actually, when you see that happen. You see the joy on that child's face as they're climbing into the aircraft, and then you see the life drain out of the parent that's standing next to them <laughs> when they realise what's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, 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 think, I think an aviation career is quite aspirational, so I think if a parent sees a, a young person want to work on aircraft or fly aircraft, I think... Um, I'd be chuffed if that had happened to me, but um, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure that there are plenty of parents who love that thing. Um, but you know, any any air show, I think the challenge for any air show, and it certainly is for Cosford, is you know, you guys will understand completely. We're not the biggest air show on the calendar by any stretch of the imagination. You know, we, we never try and compare ourselves with something like React because that's not who we are. Um, what we're trying to do is infuse lots of young people. Um, about the Royal Air Force, and that takes place in the air, but it also takes place on the ground. So I'd say the biggest challenge for me is trying to, you know, show something that keeps aviation enthusiasts like yourselves interested and makes you want to come to the show, but at the same time make sure there's something for somebody who's coming as part of a family with young children and that they also leave thinking, that was really worth my while. Now, I'm sure most of you, for instance, will have seen the Red Arrows numerous times mm. um but for some people you know who come to the show that's still the one team they want to come and see they've maybe never seen them before or they haven't seen them for five years that's who they want to come and see and it's quite easy to be dismissive of something you've seen routinely and you just have to remember that not everybody's like you so the challenge would be uh, a, a massive audience who will want different things and trying to please all of them if you can yeah. now and and costford is still an operational base, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we fly in grog tutors if you want to class that as operational. But yes, <laughs> we, 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 are, we, we are an active airfield, as we would describe yeah. ourselves. And of course, what, what's interesting is it's not a very long runway. So if you have a REAP, you can pretty much think of everything you're bringing in from around the world. It can land on site, it can taxi and park up, and you've got it then for three or four days, and it's, it, you know, it's ready to go. Um, you know, if, if you're the United States Air Force or, or, or another arm, you can bring in multiple aircraft, some which fly and some which go straight to static. We don't really have that luxury at Cosford. The, the runway's, I think, probably about 11, 1,200 metres maybe at best. 
So that automatically means that there are many aircraft that we want to display who can't land on. So they've either got to travel from their destination airfield or they've got to land at another RAF airfield and then come to us literally for the display, which of course adds to the complexity of the logistics. Wow. And speaking of logistics, is this a, does this become a focal point for all of the personnel on the base? Um, it's an all hands effort to, to put this, this show on? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's a really good question, uh, question Armando. Um, so there's, a, there's kind of what I'd call a nucleus of us who work on the show throughout the year, but that's no more than probably about um, 15 people. Some of those people, even within the 15, it's their day job and that's all they do. They're, they're locally employed civilians who work just on the air show. Then there are probably about another five of us who are Air Force, but divide our times between our day jobs and working on the air show. And then as you get closer to the air show, you start to bring project managers in and project officers. They are usually serving officers and serving NCOs at Cosford. And then in the last week, uh, the day job stops for everybody. And it's all about turning that very quiet but active airfield into something that's about to see 50,000 people descend. Goodness me, that's a big number. It is, yeah, <laughs> a very big number. It's, it's, um, it's huge. And how do you manage that relationship between the the military, the RAF, and and your and your civilians, uh, which are such an integral part of of all military operations, which is kind of a little known. I, mm. I talk about it every once in a while on the show, but we really rely on the continuity of civilians. Um, and so, how do you manage that with the volunteers, with the outside vendors, with all your logistics uh, vendors? I mean, we. We, we technically we don't have volunteers like some air shows do we have serving personnel and we you know they're told that they're going to work on the air show so we have a phrase in the uk i don't use in the same in america where you're voluntold yeah voluntold <laughs> so um yeah we, we have a lot of people who who work at the air show who just you know if you're based at cosford you know that you are going to work on the air show at some point throughout the year it just depends on what you what rank you are and what your day job is as to how embedded into the air show you are and when you come into it. But absolutely, there are still an awful lot of civilians who work on the air show alongside serving personnel uh, and people who come from uh, other parts of the Air Force to bring displays and things. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it wouldn't happen without lots of civilian teams that come in and, and put marquees up and, and do all the other bits and pieces that turn, like I said, that very quiet airfield into something which, you know, when you come along uh, in, in a couple of months' time, it is pretty immense. One of my one of my favorite parts about going to air shows in Europe was at five or six p.m. when the gates close and the announcer says, "All right, everybody, thank you very much for coming for the day. Go ahead and safely make your way to your vehicles." Once the gates closed, all of the air show performers would start getting together, and there was this incredibly unique bonding. So you, this year, you have the Jordanians, the Belgians, the Swiss the probably some u.s assets the british assets that that was the best part is the after party and it was every <laughs> single night <laughs> um how, do you guys have that is that a benefit or or how else do you entice uh acts and to come in and, and participate in the air show yeah i think i think amanda you know that what goes on in the after show party stays in the after show party <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. what i what i would say is you're absolutely right it's um I think what I've seen at the air show is that sense of community. 
amongst um, aviators from all over the world. And yes, we do have a massive after show party that, that thanks everybody who worked at it. And actually we, we announced who the, the best display was and there's trophies given out and things like that. The real sense of camaraderie. But actually over the weekend itself, there are a series of evening events, even as the show's building up where yes, people will have a drink and relax a little bit um, without completely unwinding because obviously there's the air show to come. But that sense of community, I think, is what often what brings a lot of teams back to us. Um, they, they, they obviously want to fly their aircraft. They want to display. But conversely, they want to catch up with friends that maybe they haven't seen since last year. Or they just want to sit down and, sh you know, share bits about their aircraft and places they've been and things. And it's, it's, it's just a, a bewildering, bewildering array of flying, you know, um, flying suits and different big flashy patches of arms from different air shows and nations. It's it's a it's a wonderful sight to behold. It really is. Yeah, imagine. and usually by the end of the air show, you've swapped patches, you've swapped hats and uniforms, and absolutely. Um, uh, and we we've got one being created at the moment, so that'll go to all the participants. And pretty much, if you can blag to and get one on eBay, you'll make a decent price out of them. Because of course, everybody wants to collect them, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really, really good to be a part of. Nev, I'm just going to sort of throw to you, if I may, first of all, for the uh, the comment there that Mark has, has made, because I think that is so prevalent to what we're discussing here. And also, no, very much you've got so. a couple of interesting questions as well, actually. Yeah, no, it, very much so. And I think Mark sums it up very nicely. He says, I remember being at RAF Church Fenton Open Day as a boy, seeing a lightning climb that made up my mind to join up. Um, yeah. So he said, he said yeah, air shows are very influential yeah. in future careers, I think, for, for folks, aren't they, uh, Chris? Yeah, completely agree. And, and from our point of view, because, of course, you'll probably know that Cosford really is the home of RAF engineering. You know, every single frontline aircraft that the Royal Air Force has is being worked on at the moment by an, uh, an RAF technician. All of those were trained at Cosford. So, yes, there's the flying, but we really do make a big effort into looking at um, engineering and aviation engineering. And I think a lot of people do make choices to join the Air Force based on what they see at Cosford. Yeah, I'm sure. One of the things, of course, that you've got no control of is the weather. And Carlos and I were at the Jersey International Air Display in September. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a great time there, fantastic uh, chatting with the guys, with, with Mike, the organiser, and with Les, the display director. Uh, but of course, the weather was atrocious in the build-up to the air show itself but somehow that morning of the air show before the displays in the afternoon the the clouds parted and we had superb weather from about half past 12 all the way through to four o'clock in the afternoon when the air display finished i mean that was more by luck than judgment and of course on jersey you're going to get this kind of microclimate what sort of flexibility have you got in terms of what what the weather might do uh, from your point of view not a lot, really. To be fair, if the weather turns a bit foul, we blame the Padre, to be fair. Um, um, he, he certainly gets it in the neck if that happens. Um, but I would say, you know, I've, I've attended enough air shows in, in horrible weather where some flights have, you know, some displays have cancelled. I've also been at somewhere, actually, it's bright sunshine all day, and that presents a completely different set of problems. Yeah, yeah I guess the ideal day is where it's really, really sunny for most of the day, and then right at the end, just as you want people to leave, it absolutely <laughs> unleashes the heavens, yeah. and everybody decides they're heading to the car. Yeah. Um, 
you just have to go with it, don't you? A lot of nation, uh, a lot of aircraft displays can do flat displays. They can they can tailor their displays, still do something in in low cloud or light rain. Um, what's I tell you what the challenge really is from an air show point of view, you know. And if you think of the fact that a lot I've explained to you, not every single aircraft at Cosford will take off at Cosford. They will come from elsewhere. Trying to explain to the public when you're in sunshine, but that World War Two, that warbird is taking over from the east side of the country where it's raining heavily and it can't take off or it might not be able to land if it does take off. Try to explain that to the public when they're looking up at a cloudless blue sky going, well, what do you mean the, the private uh, loan is no longer coming? Yeah, of course, because I mean, like especially like the Sally B and stuff like that. Of course, that's usually coming in. In our case, it's coming from our part of the world, isn't it? It's usually coming from Cambridge, because uh, I think it's at Duxford, isn't it? Duxford, is it? Yeah. yeah. So it's based at Duxford and probably takes off there to come straight to you to do its display and then come yeah. back, as you say. So if it's chucking it down in in near Cambridgeshire, then um, but it's glorious where you are. I mean, that could cause all sorts of delays. I mean, yeah, and it, and, and that's where the and that's where the commentators come into their own. Yeah, you know, because they're having to. So not only are they having to explain to the public in a way that they will hopefully understand, yeah. but they've all of a sudden maybe got a 15, 20 minute slot that they now have to fill with some interesting things whilst the flying display team are maybe trying to shuffle things about and see if they can bring yeah. some displays forward. Um, so it's, yeah, you can have quite a unique set of circumstances when the weather's good in one part of the country and not another. Absolutely. Nev? Yes, I mean, the other thing, just talking about logistics. Um, now, a couple of our listeners had said previously that uh, there have been some long queues to get into the event previously mm -hmm. uh, what sort of work have you and the team done to try and mitigate this obviously the the road infrastructure is what it is but uh, what, what do you think uh, about this year chris well you know we go back to right at the start when i talk, when i said about the fact that we get together straight after the air show we talk about lessons identified um and, and traffic and parking is always something you want to look at and it's something we monitor very closely on the day um i think in years gone by and I'm talking several years ago now, we as an, as, a, as, a, as an Air Force tried to just manage all the traffic and everything ourselves and the parking. I think where we learned to get a bit better at it was when we subcontracted out to specialist traffic management companies. Uh, and that's worked a lot better. But I think with any large event, whether it's, um, you know, something like this, or maybe it's an F1, um, you know, event at Silverstone or, or it's a music festival somewhere, at some point, these are held away from cities and often away from big roads. So at some point, you're going to get some, some choke points. And no matter how much you mitigate, you just have to, you have to hopefully help the, hope that people will understand that. But of course, what you can't always um, plan for completely is, and it usually happens on the way out rather than the way in, yeah. if unfortunately there's an accident of some sort, and where your road was normally quite slow moving, but it was at least moving, all of a sudden, it's everything stopped because actually an ambulance has now got to attend the scene of an accident. And that has happened before and that does lead to queues. Um, and also um, you have separate car parks in different areas and some are good for people with very good mobility because maybe they're a little bit further away. But then sometimes if people have got less good mobility, they want to be a bit closer to the air show ground. Um, and it's just trying to really say to people in advance, if, look, if you, if you need to be closer, come via this route and you'll get a good parking spot. If you can walk and you maybe haven't got a young family with bagfuls of stuff, you can go to that car park and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so we work with traffic management companies. We learn from anything that's gone in, in the previous um, in previous years. And we just hope for the best on the day that the traffic will move smoothly. 
And of course, there, there is the harsh reality that some things you have absolutely no control over at all, are there? And you've just got to sort of, you know, I mean, I'd like to think that the aviation community is 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 a, a species of very patient people who know, you know, the challenges that they're up against. As you say, of course, you you know, let's be honest, you wouldn't be able to hold an air show that was right next to the M11, would you? Not not fantastically, uh, you know. I mean, Duxford's very rare in in that. Um, uh, in that regard, but of course, it gen- that generates its own problems in terms of of like access and all that kind of thing. Because even though you can literally get to it within a few miles of the A11, the second you come off the A11, you're back yeah. onto country roads and, as you say, you know, single track roads. Often to the these places, you know, these these airfields were there for a specific reason. Um, yes, not designed for large crowds, of course. <laughs> no. and, and that's exactly it. So, like Duxford, though we are we are only. Within, we're within a couple of miles of the M54, um, but of course you, you're trying to get 50,000 people, several thousand cars to come onto the airfield, and you're exactly right there. It's, it's not designed for that. It's designed to be semi-rural, and actually it's behind lots of very high wire. It's designed to actually keep people out most of the year, and all of a sudden we invite 50,000 people in. Um, so I think anybody coming would have to understand there might be the odd issue from time to time, but in the same way that I would understand, I might be queen if I go to a concert and I Absolutely. come out at the same time as everybody else. Absolutely. Um, you know, we talk, we've got a radio station that we run for, for, the, for um, the weekend. Uh, we were on, were on social media, so we, we just talk to people as much as we can mm-hmm. and keep them updated as to what we know is going on with the roads and, and ask them to be patient where, where necessary. I mean, I, I for one can't wait. This is going to be so much fun. I can't wait to sort of mm. get there. Looking forward to meeting you in person, Chris. It's just going to be a great, just going to be a great weekend of of flying. Hopefully, and le- fingers crossed. Have we looked at long long range forecasts yet? Never. Have you ever? Oh, I think it's a bit early. You, uh, is it? Is it well, a bit early for that? My local Met can't seem to predict what's happening tomorrow. Right. Or the right. Day okay. after, so uh, <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what chance we've got. But at least you've got it in the in the right part of the year, Chris. True. So I think yeah. The, yeah. there's yeah. a good chance of, of yeah. some reasonable stuff. I'll, I'll put, it's, in, it's in British summertime. There's a good chance of rain. That's all I'll say. Yeah, well, true, true. <laughs> that, that is true. I'll, I'll put a plea into our, 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 our well-tamed meteorologist. See what he can find out for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, really looking forward to going it. Going back to the to the air show, Chris. Obviously, you've got some great uh, display acts lined up for this year. Uh, as where, how how long? When's a cut-off point to to when you can like get you know some more acts in, or have you kind of set a set a target of what display acts you want to get in, or, or is there a particular display act that you'd love to get at RF Cosford, but you haven't had the chance to, maybe? You know, I, I love aircraft as much as you guys do, so I, I, I want to see as much as we could, really. But, you know, at the end of the day, the flying display director is the person who works out what kind of length of time we've got to fly within, how much time each display wants, that, that you know, and they get slotted in in a chart, You've got to leave a certain amount of time between displacement to get out of the airspace and get and, and get the next team in safely. Um, so there's no cutoff as such. We've got teams that we're still waiting on who we can't announce. So we're, we're nowhere near the cutoff. I would imagine we'll get the idea of maybe a couple of things coming up quite last minute. The F-35 for us last um, last year, which was the first time we'd had the the you know the F-35 at the show. Um, that was literally in the last couple of weeks um, that wow. we announced that. And of course, at that point, we'd already sold out the tickets. So we had a lot of disgruntled people who said, well, if you'd announced that earlier, I'd have bought a ticket. <laughs> and we said, well, we couldn't have announced it earlier because yeah. they didn't tell us that they were definitely coming. Um, 
So you're caught in that position where people think you're withholding information, which you're not. Mm. I just don't, as a media person, as a person who puts the announcements on social media, I don't want to put something I know not to be true yeah. to only have to retract it, you know, in the hope that they might come and then have to retract it further down the road because I think that's even worse. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you'll have people, even at the moment, people are saying we haven't announced enough or we're not announcing things quickly enough. Um, and all I can ever say to people is we're announcing things as quickly as we feel we are able to. Yeah. And as soon as we can announce an aircraft, we will. And of course, it's in your, in your interests at the end of the day as well, isn't it? You, you want, I mean, in a perfect world, um, you know, after a month's worth of planning, you'd love to be able to say to everyone, uh, right, this, this is the lineup, go buy your tickets. But of course, as you say, with logistics and everything like that, it's just not as simple as that. And of course, and then conversely, what we've seen a lot of this year, because last year we were very lucky. So we had the Typhoon, we had the F-35, we had the Belgian F-16, we had the French Rafale. You know, for an air show of our size, to have four different fast jets in amongst everything else we had, people were really quite excited about that. Mm. So, of course, this year we don't have the French Rafale and we don't have the, the Belgian F-16. And some people are kind of getting a bit upset with us because we don't have enough fast jets. And you think, well, hold on a second. We write to so many different nations and ask for their support. But, of course, it's them that decide where they're going to send their aircraft. Why would the French necessarily send their Rafale to Cosford every single year when there are so many people around Europe and in other places in the UK who would like to see their aircraft? So, you know, we have to, we have to count ourselves as fortunate as when we do get them and, um, and take what we can get in other years when maybe they've gone to other places. We didn't have the, the Swiss last year, uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing them because I think they were at Duxford in pre the last year uh, and people have seen them at other places. So each nation will decide where they're going to send their aircraft. We bid for them, but of course it's up to them to decide whether they're coming to us or not. Yeah, and I expect that that's not cheap either. <laughs> so <laughs> the word bid for, uh, for a display, yeah. I expect that's a... Well, yeah, I think we've all seen what fuel prices have been doing recently. Quite, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely. know for, for us, and especially at the American bases in Europe and specifically the UK, um, we always use them as training opportunities. So the while I don't know how all the other air forces work, but for us, it was it. I don't I don't know that we ever charged for anything. We, I don't think legally we couldn't do that. Um, but we use it as a training opportunity, especially on the Osprey, you know, we would, we would put one on static and then one doing a flying, uh, display and that flying display takes, you know, you usually take a, a an evaluator instructor, a senior pilot, and then you, you put somebody else in the seat and you're, you're really doing the same tactics that you're, that you would otherwise be practicing on a Thursday afternoon. You just happen to be doing it on a Saturday afternoon in front of the public. Um, so I think from a, from an aviator standpoint, it was always a, a training opportunity um, as opposed, you know, with nobody's making any money off of this. It's, it's really just pride in showing off your capabilities. Uh, and yeah. this is this is slightly off off topic here, Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually be very bold and ask Armando a, a question here. I mean, obviously you've got a bit of experience of, of displaying at these. He looks horrified. Uh, displaying at these various air shows um, that you did, obviously during your time there. Uh, I mean, how does that differ? Like you saying, like you know, you were doing ops on a Thursday afternoon. I mean, how does that differ to uh, like something that you would be showing the public? I mean, would much of it sort of change? I mean, are you trying to make it perhaps more visual? than you would normally or are you literally just going through a training op 
uh, all of the maneuvers, you never want to try anything new in front of the public. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's generally bad form. And yeah. uh, all of the maneuvers that you see in a flying display are maneuvers that are already have already been trained and practiced and have some tactical applicability. Um, would you do them in a row like that in a you know seven minute span? Maybe not, but uh, uh, but but there's nothing new that ever gets tried in front of the public. That you you don't generally want to do that. And certainly for us at Crossford, because we're so early in the season, um, the the foreign displays often were the first show they're going to be doing the UK that year. So they actually have to practice and get their display validated by the flying display of committee. Course, yeah. So the show might be on the Sunday, but the, some of the displays will actually come and just fly over the airfield and do their display on maybe the Friday or Saturday for the, the flying display director to turn around and say, yep, that was good, that, that was safe, and it's what we were expecting, all done properly, and legal and above board, signed off, that's good to go for the weekend. Um, so exactly what Amanda says, these, you know, these, these displays have been practiced to the nth degree. They have absolutely have operational applicability in terms of not only showing off what the aircraft can do and what the aircrew flying it can do, but also what the aircraft's capable of delivering operationally, which is, you know, at the end of the day, why we have them in the first place. Wow. No, I love it. I can't, I can't wait. I, I, I really can't wait. As I say, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not long to wait now. No, it's, it's not. Well, I'm going to put Chris on the spot here, oh. actually, since you, did, you put me on the spot there, Matt. Sorry. Um, <laughs> over the past 11 air shows, what has been your favorite act or is there one act that has stood out as just a, a, a wow moment? I think if you're talking about fast jets, it's always hard to last look past something like the Belgian F-16. Um, those guys really, really do throw their aircraft around in quite spectacular fashion. Um, we haven't been fortunate enough to have any, um, I'm trying to think of, you know, current US, USAF aircraft, what I call, you know, physically display. Um, but a couple of years, a few years back now, we not only had the B-17 in the circuit at the same time as we had a B-52 come through oh, wow. and a B-1. And um, yeah, that was pretty spectacular. That was, that was quite a highlight. All right, let's, let's flip this the other way around then, if we may then, Chris. Is there, is there a display team or an aircraft that you have always wanted to get to Cosford that you haven't quite been able to just get nailed just yet is there someone you'd really love to see at cosford oh wow that is putting me on the spot isn't it really now um <laughs> i mean who I knows mean, so many, so, they, somebody they, might be watching who who might be able to help you with it you know is there something <laughs> that you'd, you know is there, believe, is there me, some... we, believe me we've written some already oh all right fair enough <laughs> <laughs> um i think it's, it's not so much something i haven't seen it's because it, it, it we just haven't had it I think there's something that I've not seen personally because there isn't, there just isn't one in the UK. So um, uh, I, I personally think, you know, I'm, I'm really excited and hope that at some point in the near future, certainly in my time while I remain in the Air Force and involved with the air show, that, that we see that Mosquito. Um, that, that's an aircraft that I really, really, really loved when I was growing up, when I was really getting into the Air Force and looking at World War II aircraft. Um, the... The idea of a mosquito being brought back to British skies and taking part, if I could see that before I retire, I'd be a very happy man. Love that. That's a, that's um, a brilliant shout, that is, actually. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, uh, Wallace, Jonathan makes a good point. Yeah. The, the, the German P3, just, yeah, 
anything like that. Where it's big, you know. In fact, the one the, the one thing I should talk about, probably that was quite spectacular, um, and I think it was the same year as we had the Orion, was the um, the New Zealand seven five seven. Oh yeah. Um, that was. It's not that it was any lower than it should have been, but because of the, the size of the aircraft and the size of our airfield, it just seemed to fill the space. And it was so noisy, and they were just, you know, putting it through all these turns and climbs, and it was just phenomenal to see. It really, really yeah. was. It really wowed the crowd. And to think that they'd come so far to take part in, you know, us and other, and other displays, it was just, it was just a, a very unique experience. I bet. I bet. Where, where, we, where me and Matt live here, uh, Chris, in, in Suffolk, uh, we're lucky. We're surrounded by quite a few active um, RAF bases here. Is is it not a thing that you can just give these guys, say the the, the Watersham guys, a call, get some Apaches, or give the guys at Mildenhall a call, get a you know a KC-135 or something to come up and see, or some of the other Air Force, you know, the Royal Air Force bases around here that you can just pick up the phone and just say, do you guys fancy bringing an aircraft? to us for the show or is that not a, a kind of if it were that easy if it were that easy <laughs> um, then you know what I, I can't really go into the details of you know the mechanism of how it does come about but i think um you know amanda who's you know flown himself um would recognize that phoning up and just asking for an aircraft doesn't really happen these things are planned well in advance you know what you're going to get they know what they're going to do usually we know what we're going to get and even up to the last minute, there, there would be a multitude of reasons why you didn't actually get the aircraft you thought you were going to get. You'd announced and you've even gone as far as putting it in your program. And yet it still doesn't come. So, no, unfortunately, the idea of picking up a phone just to random RAF bases or local airfields <laughs> and saying, come on, we've got a slot. It just doesn't work. I was going to say, because the guys at Watersham spend pretty much most of the week flying in and around our village here. Um, How many Sundays, though? Well, it's probably nearly every day we get the guys coming over here. And they're, they're normally yeah. at like between four and 800 feet above. Um, but, I mean, they've, they've got plenty of helicopters lying around, and it's easy <laughs> to get they've got, it's well, easy they, to get an Apache in. They, they have, well, yeah, I mean, we, we've certainly had um, Apaches recently on static, um, and we've had some pretty spectacular Apache displays in the future, when, uh, in the past, sorry, when they did the roll demos, and there are explosions going off all over the place. But I don't think the um, Army Air Corps, again, have actually, you know, you understand the concept of PDA and aircraft getting, you know, public display authority. I don't think they've done it this year. So the idea of having a, a display just is a non-starter right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, well. <laughs> now, we're going to start to wrap up the, uh, the chat with you, Chris. But Nev has got a very important question for you. And it's a question that we ask all our guests on the show uh, from all um, walks of life, whether they be pilots or crews or engineers. And uh, it's, a, it's a kind of put you on the spot question, but it's great because it, the answer you give, I've, I've got a feeling I know because you've kind of... Um, alluded to of, it already. Yeah, yeah, you alluded to it earlier. But uh, Nev, what's that question? Well, Chris, if you were an operational pilot and you had the choice of flying any aircraft whatsoever, a commercial, military... GA, uh, retired or, or current, uh, what would that aircraft be? Um, I don't know. Might, this might sound really... And, and, I, and I won't say the mosquitoes because I've said, I've said that already, but for a very specific reason. Um, I think probably, you know, growing up, and I lived in West Germany for a little while before the, the country unified. And I can remember back then, even then, every now and again, you'd get to see off in the distance, and I don't know where it was flying from at the time, 
but um, an SR-71. I know, that, I know they fly at high altitudes, but you would sometimes see them obviously transiting and getting before they went to do what they wanted to do. And I think, you know, the SR-71 is, is not only beautiful, it's, you know, it's a, it's a testament to the cleverness of the engineers who designed it and built it, and, and as well as the, the pilots who flew it and, and operated it in the way they did. Um, I, I think, yes, if I could get in an SR-71 and be at whatever it was, 80,000 or 100,000 feet, and just see the curvature of the earth, and, and that, that must be just heaven. Great answer, Chris. That great is a great answer. answer. Yeah. Nice to hear something a bit different. Yes. So uh, before you go, Chris, just for the benefit of the listeners and that, everyone listening to the show or listening back to the show as an audio podcast, and they fancy joining us or coming to see you over at uh, Cosford for the air show, just give us some sort of details on uh, uh, where they can go and find out more info and uh, get tickets for the air show. Yes, yeah, so this year the Cosford air show is on Sunday the 11th of June uh, at RAF Cosford, which is in Shropshire, just off Junction 3 of the M54. Um, tickets are still available, and I'm not saying this, just saying this, they are going fast. They will sell out at some point in the next handful of weeks, um, and they're available at www.cosfordairshow.co.uk. Um, so if you want to get them, please do, because um, they will sell out, and um, you'll be disappointed if you don't, because there are some announcements we haven't made yet that I think will be quite interesting for Fantastic. aviation enthusiasts and families alike. Fantastic. And, and obviously... If... And, I, and I look forward to meeting you all. I really, really do. When I've sent your tickets out to you, make sure you come and find me and I'll, we, will. we can have a cup of tea. Absolutely. We definitely Thanks. will. And uh, if any uh, listeners, obviously, uh, do get yourselves some tickets, do make it known to us because we'd love to meet up with you while we're there as well because we're, we're going to be going. It's going to be an awful lot of fun. And uh, we really can't thank you enough, Chris, for, for taking time out of your... essentially ruining your Friday evening uh, <laughs> to, uh, to sort of uh, bring us up to speed with what's going to be a fantastic air show i really can't wait uh this has probably been the highlight of my night and you can probably think about that what you will uh, so okay, um, fair we'll, we'll leave it there on that uh, bombshell thank yeah <laughs> thank you very much for the invitation it's been a great experience i've loved meeting you all virtually i look forward to meeting some of you again in the future and enjoy the rest of the show and uh, to all your listeners thank you very much thank you chris, chris. Thanks. Thanks. thanks good night Have a great weekend yeah. you too bye-bye thank you so moving on with the next part of the show it's uh, commercial news time so um are all the team ready yeah we definitely are let's do it do it let's go And the first news story this week uh, comes to us from chaviation.com. And, uh, well, when I saw this news break this week, Mac, as Matt can probably imagine, I was, was slightly upset, to say the least. This must be Malta, mustn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So the uh, Air Malta is to be dissolved and replaced by a new national airline uh, by the end of this year. Uh, the Maltese government had sought approval from the European Commission two years ago to inject 290 million euros into the airline, but the Commission has informally indicated that there's no chance of approval for the plan. The government has already chosen to close down the airline and discussions are now underway about establishing a successor carrier without abusing state aid rules. 
Tens of millions of euros are expected to go towards redundancy and severance packages for the Air Malta employees. And the airline needs significant funding, but it's barred from further state funding until 2026 under EU rescue and restructuring guidelines, which only allow for one aid grant over a 10-year period. The Maltese government has been studying Alitalia's transformation to ITA Airways and a possible solution to retaining the state-funded carrier. The executive chairman of Air Malta has confirmed that the creation of a successor carrier is in the final phase and the transition from Air Malta will be largely seamless for passengers. The new airline will not, uh, will not be a low-cost carrier but will be competitive on service with a five-year business plan in place to make it a commercially viable uh, option. Air Malta currently operates an all-leased fleet of three A320-200s and five A320-200neos, and it's wet leasing two more A320-CEOs from Smart Links Airlines, Malta, and Bulgaria's Fly to Sky. So, my thoughts personally on this, I. I this does not surprise. This has been in the works now for quite yeah. a number of years, as I think most people who know the the airline itself, which I do know quite well, because I visited these guys at their head office a few years ago, a few mm. years back. Um, in my view, personally, you know, the airline's brilliant. They do a great job. The crews are great. The service is good. Their prices are all up prices they advertise online, so the price you pay includes your check luggage. You don't, isn't, there's no you know, additional add-ons as such. But in my view personally, what's killed this off in a big way is, unfortunately, Ryanair and EasyJet. Right. Flying to the air, to the air island. Because, you know, for probably considerably less, we, can we say about 100 to 150 pounds less per ticket, you can fly with Ryanair or EasyJet um, straight to uh, Malta on a better timed flight. That was the big thing that let Air Malta down was the fact that the flights from Gatwick left at some ungodly hour in the evening and didn't get into Malta until the early hours of the morning. So it's a shame. It's a but, shame. Th but then I guess if people are willing to do it because they're not paying much, you know, if people would rather get up late if you like or, or not arrive there really late um and maybe lose a bit of their holiday but they're paying 150 pound a flight less i don't know is that is that may maybe why i mean uh, there must be a reason why their flights weren't you know perhaps um and the frequency as well you know ryanair and easyjet are flying into luca multiple times in a day yeah true various european destinations but um yeah it'd be interesting to see what goes on with these these guys what comes of this and uh, i hope you know that there is something good to, to come from this in the end mm. so moving on with some uh, more really happy news uh, not at all armando you've got the next uh, story and uh, we're looking back on a on a uh, a historic incident i think we can call this one yeah this is an interesting story this made national news i believe pretty much all over the world in everybody's countries, especially for us that kind of track this kind of stuff. But this particular story from the BBC, um, Air France and Airbus were cleared over the fatal Rio Paris crash in 2009. And that was by a French court that, that cleared both uh, organizations, Air France and Airbus, of the charges of involuntary manslaughter over that uh, mishap, which killed all 228 people on board. Um, now, the Airbus A330 was operated by Air France, and it stalled during a storm and plunged into the Atlantic o Ocean. Um, a, the court 
said even if errors had been committed, a casual link between them and the crash could not be proved. Now, we in the aviation industry have studied this mishap, and this has been used as a um, unfortunate example of what not to do when you encounter this situation. But as you guys can imagine, the families of the victims were uh, pretty angry at the acquittal. They appeared stunned when the verdict was read out at the end of this lengthy public trial. Uh, Danielle Lamy, the president of the association which represents the victims, said that the, fa the families were disgusted that their long fight for justice had come to nothing. Now, that was uh, extraordinary. This was the first trial for corporate involuntary manslaughter to be held in France. Um, Air France and Airbus had always denied the charges for which they were facing a maximum fine of 225,000 euros. Um, the companies said that pilot error was to blame for the crash. Now, the investigation revealed that the plane had encountered high altitude thunderstorm uh, hours after departing from Rio de Janeiro. Then the airspeed sensors froze, gave some false readings. Uh, the pilots failed to follow correct procedures and then lost control of the airplane, which plunged into the ocean, as we mentioned. Essentially, they, they fought it all the way into the ocean despite the airplane's um, attempts at sort of rectifying their actions. Um, now, the judge said that there had been several acts of negligence by both companies but that there was not enough certainty to hold Airbus and Air France or Air France liable for the crash. Um, and they stated that a, prob a probable causal link isn't sufficient to characterize an offense, according to that judge. Of course, Air France expressed their deepest sympathy to the relatives and Airbus reaffirmed its total commitment in terms of aviation safety. So all in all, it was 12 crew members, 216 passengers abo aboard the flight. Um, all, you know, and, and there's been plenty of media covers. There's been documentaries uh, made about this mishap. And the eventually the wreckage was discovered um, after about, you know, a long search of, I think it was 10,000 square kilometers of seafloor and um, victims were from 33 different countries. So very interesting court case and uh, sort of a benchmark case as we call them here in the u.s do you think uh, i mean it's not that common here but do, uh, it, it is certainly in the states um uh, maybe not um in europe either to be fair but do you think perhaps there might be a civil action given how shocked and stunned um you know like the the, the people you know the relatives if you like were of this i mean do, do you think they might launch think, their own yeah. Challenge, yeah, I'm certainly maybe. no legal expert. There are different avenues. And for the families, I think it's, it's especially important to continue the fight for what they consider justice yeah. and to honor their um, the victims. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there will probably be a contingent that will continue to seek other avenues to um, hold someone responsible, right? Even yeah. in, our, in, our, in our group chat internally, you know, we made the comment of, well, you know, dead pilots are easy to blame. Yeah. Um, and, and that's certainly the case. Um, when you're talking about a carrier like Air France, a manufacturer like Airbus, um, we've talked about it on the show quite a bit. And, uh, and in, when we, we've had some expert uh, guests on the show that talk about the safety investigation process 
you know, obviously it's been dramatized in Hollywood with, you know, the, the sullen, the miracle on the Hudson movie. Um, I think it's a lot more uh, pragmatic than Hollywood portrayed, but there's just so much legal, uh, both liability, but just legal wrangling that happens when, when a mishap like this happens, especially on this scale, but even a, even a small carrier, there's, there's a lot of fine print, you know, the, the, to be honest, the, the victims, when you buy your ticket, there's a lot of fine print in there that none of us look at. Um, you know, John Jester says in the chat room that, uh, that accidents shouldn't, shouldn't be dealt with in a court. Right. I mean, yeah. um, but that is the unfortunate, well, I don't know. I say unfortunate, but that is the situation in the world that we live in that, that as soon as something like this happens, uh, the lawyers are going to get involved. Yeah. And indeed, and unfortunately, I suppose the only, the only people who are going to do it well out of any of these situations, I guess, are the lawyers literally as simple as that. Mm. Yeah. yeah I, I will say, you know, it's, it's, it, it was a very unfortunate mishap, but, now we we have a training scenario for most professional pilots um that whenever we go into the simulator we often often talk about air france 447 and uh, and the crew's actions and uh, in the hopes that that there isn't uh, a repetition of, the, of that yeah indeed so moving on mm. matt uh, when i found this story this week when i was searching for stories for the show i thought this has got you written all over it. Has it? Right, okay, good Oh, can't wait. Uh, it is uh, a, a low-cost airline, as you would expect, for Technically Story 2, uh, although we did slip one in, so it's Technically Story 3. But, uh, yeah, the headline is EasyJet celebrates 150th Fearless Flyer Course and welcomes its 11,000th participant at Gatwick Airport. The milestone also coincided with the programme welcoming its 11,000th participant with operating crew and the Fearless Flyer team commending nervous flyers on board as they had the opportunity to overcome their fear and take to the skies. Over the last 10 years, the course, which has now helped more than 11,000 phobics, continues to be one of the best priced aerophobia courses in the UK starting at just £89 per person and further dates in May and June this year have been announced with experienced flights taking off from Gatwick, Luton, Bristol, Manchester, Edinburgh and Belfast. Featuring a virtual element of the programme that was introduced last year, EasyJet's Fearless Flyer course is divided into three main parts. A virtual ground course where top phobia expert Lawrence Layton and a senior EasyJet captain will explain the unfamiliar sounds and sensations customers feel on board an aircraft and teach them the unique set of mind techniques to manage their nerves. This session lasts approximately two and a half hours. Then there's a pre-flight one hour meet the team online zoom session where participants will be walked through the airport experience and what to expect there'll also be a participant question and answering session where phobia expert lawrence layton and an easyjet pilot will answer any last minute questions and then finally a special one hour experience flight from the course airport where customers put their new skills to the test while listening to a live commentary of the flight from the fearless flyer team in addition to the standard course a vip course is also on offer and includes extra 
exclusive benefits, including a dedicated captain who will guide you through the experience, flight day, a pre-flight private video call with pilot, uh, with the pilot and fearless flyer team, VIP check-in process, security and boarding for the experience flight, guaranteed upfront seats and lifetime access to additional course materials. A limited number of spaces on the course are now available uh, and details on that uh, will be available in our show notes. Uh, Mark Wine, who is EasyJet's fearless flyer course director, said, we are incredibly proud to have delivered 150 EasyJet fearless flyer courses over the past decade. As an ex-phobic myself, to have personally seen more than 11,000 people with a fear of flying successfully take to the skies fearlessly is a hugely rewarding experience. We uh, regularly receive messages from our fearless flyers telling us about their family reunions, amazing holidays and even career opportunities that were made possible because they overcame their fears. We look forward to the next 150 courses as we continue to help people achieve their goals of becoming fearless flyers. Several dates are available for this new course. My advice would be to take yourself to their website, of which details will be on our website. Uh, on our, I, sh- I don't mean on our website. I mean on our um, uh, on our. Uh, um, Uh, in the show notes I should say sorry uh, for you to take a a look if you wish I was very lucky I got to do mine because obviously I had a similar experience as Carlos alluded to there Um, I was very lucky enough that I was able to uh, do mine with friend of the show uh, Captain Al and I have to say that if you do find yourself in that situation I cannot recommend his services highly enough so I'm going to make sure that uh, Flight Fear Solutions instructions on how to find him are in there as well that's right flightfearsolutions.co.uk yeah. 0845-459-0323 oh, Captain Al <laughs> <laughs> there we go mm. No, I think it's a good story. It's a good way, and it's a good idea, I think, as well. I think more airlines should perhaps do things like this. Indeed. I mean, it's in, in the, the UK, anyway. It's in, it's in their interest, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, Nev, you've got the next one, and it's all over to BA for you. Yes, well, you know, both you and I like a short runway, don't we? <laughs> uh, especially at Jersey, which is only 5,600 feet long. But have a listen to this story, because this is even more challenging. It's on onemileatatime.com, and it says that BA has just launched a new route to Florence, although the first two flights haven't operated as scheduled. Not only is Florence an incredibly popular destination with tourists, it's also one of the gateways to Tuscany, which is as hot as ever to visit. Fortunately, the region is served by two international airports, both Florence and Pisa. There's only one not-so-small problem is in that Florence Airport has uh, some major operational limitations. The runway is only 5,118 feet long, making it one of the shorter runways to be used by mainline uh, jets. The bigger issue is that traffic can only flow in one direction regardless of the winds, and that's due to the high terrain around the airport. There are all kinds of operational considerations that impact takeoff performance, including winds, temperature, takeoff weight, visibility, and 
more. Uh, this is an area where Florence Airport really struggles and when you combine a short runway with unfavourable winds and no ability to depart in the other direction, any service to Florence Airport by larger aircraft is incredibly fragile. So this brings us to BA's new service. So as of uh, April the 16th, so, uh, of, uh, earlier this week, BA has launched a new daily service between Heathrow and Florence, which is supposed to operate uh, with the following schedule. So the BA 524 goes from Heathrow to Florence, departing 8am and arriving at 11.20. And then the return flight, the 525, goes from Florence to Heathrow, uh, leaving at 12.10, arriving at 1.25pm. The 757-mile uh, flight is operated by the Airbus A320neo, which is British Airways Heathrow-based aircraft that's most capable of operating the service. Unfortunately, the first two days of service hasn't gone exactly as planned, as on the uh, 16th of April, the inaugural uh, flight to Florence did OK, arriving 19 minutes behind schedule at 11.39am. But the return flight was a different story. Due to some moderate winds in Florence, which is nothing out of the or uh, ordinary, the plane couldn't carry enough fuel to fly all the way back to London. So it instead first uh, did the first leg to Pisa, which is only 42 miles away, to refuel, and then the plane took off from Florence at uh, just after 1 o'clock and landed in Pisa at 1.19, departing Pisa at 2.33 and back into London at 3.28, which was over two hours behind the schedule. On uh, April the 17th, BA didn't even attempt to fly to Florence. Instead, the airline operated this flight to and from Pisa, and the airline is sending passengers between the two airports by bus. So it's going to be interesting to see how this service evolves. Now, admittedly, winds are probably a bit stronger than usual at the moment, although it doesn't change the fact that it will be hard to operate this route reliably, especially with the full payload. And whilst winds might be an issue right now, much hotter temperatures in the peak of the summer could also prove to be pro uh, problematic. So I'll be curious to see how it's handled when it comes to the EU261 compensation rule in situations where passengers may misconnect. BA may claim that these are operational issues uh, which are due to weather and therefore outside of the carrier's control but there's also that's also a pretty disingenuous argument when other airlines are able to operate their service much more reliably. The issue really is that uh, BA doesn't have smaller aircraft uh, based at Heathrow so the company has launched uh, this new daily service which is going to be a great link to Tuscany but the problem is is that the airport has a short runway so um, yeah they've got to operate it with the neo aircraft because the uh, other uh, a319 a320s don't have uh, enough oomph from their engines to do that i would imagine but of course if you've got wind issues as well and captain al <laughs> will be the the expert there um, <laughs> then that's quite a challenge so yeah um i wonder whether with the uh, the Embraer fleet, the the one nine, the one nineties that they operate at mm. City Airport, that that might be an option. But then, of course, you're only uploading what 100 passengers at a time, something like that. So, um, yeah, well, they'd have the range, presumably. Then, Nev, would they? Uh, just... Yes, they would. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they fly from London City Airport it's a much shorter runway, yeah, uh, but those true. aircraft are exclusively based uh, at City Airport or in regional parts of the UK. So. I mean it seems like a slightly odd decision I guess isn't it based based on uh, you know that the, the it being a much shorter runway and stuff I, I don't know perhaps they're hoping that the uh, the weather restrictions and the you know the things that could prevent it from flying so it doesn't sound like it's been a fantastic start. Well the other problem <laughs> is is that you know coming back uh, the flight would be and if you imagine the 
in the middle of summer, it's going to be departing at 10 minutes past 12, so just after midday. That's going to be one of the hottest parts of the year as well. So yeah. again, there'll, there'll be restrictions on what they can do there. And as John Jester says in the, ch in the chat room, I'll just have to uh, weight restrict the aircraft and, uh, and limit right. Uh, passenger numbers and or fuel and or uh, luggage as well so would it would it be perhaps more sensible then to have a, a smaller aircraft like you were saying there Nev? well i kind of would have thought that to, to run the Embraer uh, e190 series uh, as they operate out of city airport but only flying 100 passengers now whether that makes sense from the uh, the load factor and the financial point of view, I don't really know. But, mm. um, yeah, that, that's going to be... But it would be a more reliable service, potentially, I guess. Yeah, and, of course, if the if one of their A320neos went tech or something, they couldn't just replace that with a regular A320, I wouldn't have thought, on that right. runway. And uh, given the weather conditions, I'm not having it. Is that because they need the, the gump of the, the new engine to you get off on that shorter... To get it off the deck. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Fast enough, get, basically. The, yeah. the, the, the new Neo series aircraft uh, right. certainly got that. Gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like they got some... I mean, it's a, it's a great route if they can pull it off, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a great part of Italy um, to be flying into, but it, it sounds like they're going to they're have quite a handful of challenges uh, making it work, I think. Yep, absolutely. But let's see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll find out more as the season goes on. Indeed. Armando is uh, picking up the next story and uh, heading off to space. Yeah, uh, Carlos, before I read that story, um, I've popped the WhatsApp number or the PTUK WhatsApp number into the chat there. So if you're watching YouTube live, um, we have a story a little bit later that has to do with air art or whatever we call it um basically aircraft drawing uh designs um in the sky and then being posted on flight aware please don't send in anything produced by the u.s navy uh because that will you know bump up our, our adult rating <laughs> here so anything other than u.s navy air tracks um but i popped the number it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six um send us some of your favorite air art pictures um and then we'll post them for that last story um so this next story is from avweb.com it's uh, the faa is taking some steps and this is very relevant today because we just had that big spacex spacex launch um the faa is taking steps to better fit rocket launches into the national airspace system. Now, the agency announced last week that it has come up with guidelines to, quote, optimize and equitably manage the airspace in the vicinity of launch sites. Now, airlines and other operators have been grumbling, including myself, uh, about the diversions and airspace closures that will inevitably result from every single launch. As the country's launch pads, particularly in Florida, uh, bristle with activity from a host of private companies involved in the business, the disruption has increased. Now, the agency will rely on a set of objective factors to better balance the needs of launch licensees, as well as airlines, general aviation, and the military to minimize disruptions, they said in a statement. Now, in some cases, the companies may be asked to move a launch if it's planned for a holiday period, when airline activity peaks, or when the military is holding a major training exercise. The FAA is also suggesting that companies do more late night, early morning launches when aviation activity is generally reduced. Um, the mission of each launch will factor into its priority or scheduling and quote, the FAA will generally prioritize commercial space operations that one, have national security purpose or are in the national interest or two, commercial space launches carrying payloads. 
Uh, this <laughs> I put this story in there because I have been uh, uh, relegated to uh, lengthy delays going in and out of Florida. Uh, the so I think we've talked about it a little bit. I think all our professional aviators, um, but uh, you, you guys know there's essentially highways in the sky. There's there's uh, just like in the UK. There's essentially motorways, uh, A roads, and B roads. You know. Uh, small routes, bigger routes, major routes, um, and and a lot of these are, are jet routes. Which coincidentally in, enough, right now, um, I think yesterday there was a, a massive reorganization of the national airspace structure on the east coast of the U.S. A lot of our jet routes went away and were replaced by Q routes, which are GPS-driven routes. Um, that these these routes go all over the world. And there has always been a choke point um, in Florida. <laughs> the, the Jacksonville Center uh, air, air Route Traffic Control Center that, that controls just that little swath uh, just south of Georgia and, and Alabama and Mississippi, all that traffic going into Florida, which is super heavy for all of the things that I just mentioned, commercial, military, uh, general aviation, uh, corporate traffic, uh, it's all a choke point in Jackson, Jacksonville Center and that northern Florida. Um, so you add to that any time that there's weather, which is pretty often because it's Florida. Uh, <laughs> now, usually they'll close down the east side of the state or the west side of the state, which is not very wide aviation-wise. Um, and then you add on to that these space launches that they're doing off the east coast of Florida a um, little bit of Texas too, but but really most of the launches are on the east coast of Florida. It just creates a massive headache, a massive choke point, and sometimes you'll be on the ground trying to get your clearance. And now we read the notams, and we say, maybe some of us read the notams, um, but we see that there's lengthy delays. Plus, the NBA, the National Business Aviation Association, puts out essentially notices to operators saying, "Hey, expect delays tomorrow because there's a space launch." Um, but this is something that, that absolutely needs to be addressed. I, I've waited on the ground in uh, Naples, Fort Myers, Miami, um, for sometimes up to three hours waiting on airspace to clear up because of a space launch combined with weather or something like that. Um, so a very important uh, thing that they're going to do, and I hope it <laughs> I hope it gets some resolution because uh, as nice as, as it sounds to say, Oh, I was stuck in Fort Myers for three hours. Um, it is not that nice when you're in an airplane in the in the sweltering heat of Florida in the summertime, uh, just burning gas there on the on the ramp for three hours. And and most importantly, your passengers don't. We don't want to be there. They certainly don't want to be there. But we'll see what happens with this. Maybe that would help, especially if you're in the cub, Armando, um, with the uh, prop turning and the window open. Feel that air brushing through. That's free air conditioning. Well, I suppose not free air conditioning, but... <laughs> you know, believe it or not, if we were in the cub, we'd have no delays because we could just take off and fly at 1,000 feet uh, VFR <laughs> under all of these restrictions. <sighs> True. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason he got that aircraft. Now, it has happened. I... I I have been on the ground in Naples where there's often anywhere from one to three hour delays and some, some cowboy in a citation will say, wait a minute, can't we just go VFR? And, and 
whether it's a system outage or weather or something like that, they'll, they'll say, hey, the system is saturated from a radar standpoint. You, you, just to be clear, I've heard this on the radio, just to be clear, you will not receive any radar services until you reach Georgia, <laughs> which is about 200 miles away. Um, and I've seen some cowboys just say, yep, the Leroy Jenkins, they'll, they'll say, send it. We're going to take off VFR and fly it 16,500 feet. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> uh, John Jester does say it is amazing to watch launches, especially at night. Um, I've only ever seen one launch, and that was from a military aircraft at there at Patrick Air Force Base. And uh, it was a day launch, and I was at, uh, I don't know, about 10,000 feet or so. And it was, it was pretty amazing. There's if a, anybody gets to watch these, it's pretty cool. There's a video yeah. doing the rounds at the moment, isn't there, that of of um, something taking off and they're in an aircraft and they're literally watching it sort of explode off the ground and go straight now up. Now that is a view. Yeah. That is yeah. a view. Yeah. So moving on to the next story. And um, I think we all saw this one in the news feeds this week, didn't we? All the videos, anyway, circulating on social media. Now, we did have some comments off John. I don't know whether we're going to play. Are we playing John's video? I think so. This? Armando is the steer on that one. I'm sorry, what? Uh, the um, story about next about the Cargo Lux Jet. I know John uh, sent us in a video. Are we going to uh, play that video? Yes, we are. Yes, we okay, are. <laughs> okay, that's the end. <laughs> Thank you. Because Thank I you. sent it to us. So yes, I have, I have none of those buttons. Carlos, or whoever, and then uh, perhaps yeah. uh, play the video uh, John's. Yeah, maybe just that first paragraph before the, yes, uh, yeah. just to get mm. the summary in, I think. Yeah. yeah, so we all saw the video circulating. There's a few videos actually circulating on social media. It's all about the Cargo, Lex, uh, Cargo Lux jet damaged after a near-miss landing at Findel. And uh, the Cargo Lux aircraft had had a lucky escape last Saturday when the cargo jet had to abort the landing after one of its engines hit the runway. The aircraft, which was arriving from Dubai at half past six in the evening on Saturday, first touched down with its landing gear, but then shifted to its left, causing one of the engines uh, nacelles to hit the tarmac. And the videos, which uh, were uploaded onto various Twitter accounts on Sunday, showed the pilot then aborting the landing attempt uh, on the particular videos. Um, just quickly before we play the video, Cargo Lux is a majority-owned air um, by the Luxembourg state. And the incident uh, with the aircraft, the aircraft involved in the incident uh, during landing at Findil Airport on Saturday evening, is uh, apparently, I read on the report, is still on the ground. Obviously, now after the the, dam the damage that was uh, um, uh, to the aircraft. But we had a video sent in to us today by John Jester. As we know, uh, John's a very good friend of the show. He's been uh, a guest on the show, and uh, he. It's safe to say, I think, Armando. John knows what he's talking about when it comes to um, flying the Queen of the Skies cargo. M more qualified than any of us to talk about this. So, Matt, run the video. Hello, everybody. It's John Jester, your special 747 correspondent, coming to you live from the home studios. Coming to you to talk about the uh, incident with the Cargo Lux 747 landing at Luxembourg with the hard landing and subsequent pod strike. Uh, this story comes from the uh, Av Herald Cargo Lux 747-400 at Luxembourg on April 15, 2023, as an engine pod strike on landing. A Cargo Lux Boeing 747-400 freighter registered Lima X-ray Echo Charlie Victor performing flight Charlie Victor 7545 from Dubai 
to uh, Luxembourg, landed on Luxembourg's runway six, but bounced and the left wing dropped and the left engine CF6 touched the runway surface before the crew initiated a go around. The aircraft climbed to 4,000 feet, positioned for another approach to the runway six and landed without further incident about 15 minutes after the go around. I'm gonna get Matt to hopefully uh, play the video loop there while we're watching this with me talking. And uh, have also have a, a screen grab I wanted to uh, show and highlight something there. One of the first things we'll start off with is this uh, approach is a pretty standard approach to a very difficult runway because runway six at Luxembourg has an upslope. And that upslope makes you feel like you're flying into the hillside as you're coming down the approach. Uh, guessing maybe it's probably a heavyweight landing. The speed looks pretty uh, significant. Looks like they're, they're moving along a good clip, which means they're probably heavyweight. And definitely the way the aircraft reacts to the control inputs at the end looks heavyweight. A lot of momentum heading towards the ground. The other issue is uh, with that aircraft on the approach is uh, shortly before touchdown, so about 100 feet, a little before they cross the threshold, if you watch the video, the nose drops just a little bit, half a degree or a degree. And that can be very critical. That can increase your descent rate quite a bit and it's driving you towards the ground even faster than you're already going before. And you have this challenge there with this upslope where your cadence is off because the ground comes up to get you right as you're going down at the ground and your radar altimeter countdown, which is one of the things that helps you prepare to flare does your power uh, sort of management when you want to, to do all that, that gets off and your rhythm can be off. And if you're not experienced and not used to that runway, that can be a challenge. I mean, yes, this is Luxembourg uh, and Luxembourg's uh, home field, but that's a, you know still the big illusion to deal with. I flew in and out of there quite a while uh, with Acme Global and uh, our airline had also suffered a hard landing here. So this initial uh, little drop of the nose really gets the aircraft descending and quite quite close into the runway and it's gonna be hard to, to do lastly you'll see the flare doesn't really occur until they're well, probably maybe 30 feet when the nose starts to come up maybe a little bit but it's probably at that point too late especially that upsloping runway i think it's even closer now maybe like 20 feet and at that point all they really did was drive the landing gear into the ground and that's what causes the bounce and the bounce is quite significant and one of the other things I wanted to point out is that the aircraft bounces and rolls simultaneously. And if Matt could go to the screen grab I sent him, that shows that the uh, as the aircraft's contacting the ground with the, the number two engine, so the inboard engine on the left wing, and the highlighted areas, the sparks coming up, look up at the trailing edge of the wing. You'll notice not only just the spoilers up, but the left outboard and inboard ailerons are both up above the wing uh, trailing edge. And that indicates to me that there is a left roll input being placed into the control column. Whether that was due to the impact and the, the, the pilot being jarred, you know, that's out of question for the investigation that I deal with. But there is that left input, which is causing the aircraft to roll. And that's why that number two engine takes the hit. They were extremely lucky not to catch the number one engine. The other thing that you're gonna look at when that video is, that nose gets smacked down hard and it bounces off the ground and it is a, quite a, a hop there. Pretty much as soon as that aircraft impacted the ground, the pilots were a little bit along for the ride there for the next couple of seconds. 
And I don't see in the video any indications where there was a lot of uh, control movement that would have counteracted this. There's not a lot of elevator up to stop the nose from smacking down. The control wheel to the left was aggravating the situation. And then uh, what you do see though is a good response. And I think pretty much as that aircraft was touching down, the thrust levers were coming up. And that aircraft was uh, already beginning to spool up, but it takes seconds for a CF6 on the 747 to spool up to power to, to get it off the ground. But you'll notice that they hit the ground. There's that roll and bounce uh, off of the number two engine and the nose gear kind of simultaneously. And then really quickly afterwards, they're already back up in the air because that go around was initiated, I would say almost at touchdown or just slightly after touchdown, they were starting to go around. And that uh, shows that they were sort of reacting, but then they missed a few things potentially. It's hard to say. I don't want to money money quarterback too much, but uh, it's quite quite a crazy video there. And it's a challenging airport, and uh, heavyweight landings there can you know make you just smack in. Anyways, I hope that uh, is uh, good for everybody, and that they understand uh, a little bit better about why this probably happened. And I wish everybody a great weekend. Thank you, John. Amazing video, actually. Well done, and, John. And, uh, sorry, I said well done, John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah they're really good. Um, quite um quite enlightening actually um and uh, as i say like taking into consideration like the where he's saying like obviously you know based on where the the wings and the flaps and everything all were that you know it suggested it was in the in the middle of the roll and the power being up and all that kind of thing and even you carlos said there was sort of you know some things there that even you'd missed yeah, I, uh, I mean, on I've that watched, photo i watched that video a number of times this week and i, and I didn't i you know obviously i Notice the sparks. I saw that on the stills. I do, but I didn't um, didn't you know see that control um, input that had been put into the you know to roll to the left. I didn't notice that, pick up on that. But uh, now, obviously, John said it. You can see it on that still picture there. Yeah. Um, Armando, what are your thoughts on this? Um, well, I'm with you guys. I think John did a great job at this, and he sent this to me earlier. And uh, I had some questions because, you know, keeping in mind, I'm actually fairly new to jets and high-performance jets like this. I had a question for him, which actually came up in the chat room, which is after the spoilers come up, Art, you know, in my aircraft, we're, we're committed to the ground. We're not going to uh, go back in the air. Now, his... His take on it, which is that the go-around was initiated before touchdown or slightly before touchdown, makes more sense. And and I didn't know this, that that uh, activating the toga function will retract the spoilers. Um, that was one of my first questions was, what what on earth? <laughs> you know, because uh, everything that, that we trained in, in, in my jet, which is my first jet, um, what's, w once the spoilers are out, we're, you're committed to the, to the ground. Um, and... And uh, I think we—I was talking to him also, um, just here on our on between me and him—and he said as long as the uh, thrust reversers aren't aren't actuated or deployed, um, you can still go around. Um, so that and, and then the other question that I had is is you know we always talk about shock factor um, in response to a mishap or not a mishap but a, a challenge right or an in-flight emergency or anything like that, and and like he said in the video. This must have been jarring up on the flight deck to have mm. something that's so big and so tall just get slammed down on the ground like that. At that point, 
Um, I think from a, from a human factors point of view, you know, you've messed up your, your body and your mind almost goes into a bit of a, a fast forward. You know, some people say you slow down. Um, some people go into a fast forward of, Oh my God, did I, did I just kill my career right now? Yeah. Uh, and your mind is amazing at, 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 um, but I think it would be similar to, to you guys driving professionally, you know, both, both, uh, Carlos, you and Matt, you, you drive professionally. Um, if you have something, you know, sometimes your mind goes leaps forward. And, and mm -hmm. what, what is that time factor of, oh, man, we really messed this up to, hey, let's do something about it. Yeah. Um, that was one of my questions. To, I mean, to I mean, the, uh, I mean the, the fortunate thing was that the aircraft did appear to have plenty of energy. So even with the delay in spool up time of those CF6 engines, um, I, the, it did have plenty of energy because it did seem to be coming in a bit hot. I, I, very difficult to judge, but there was there was plenty of energy to you know get it back off the ground and get the the, the spoilers stowed. I, I would imagine, mm. but uh, nonetheless, quite a moment. And thank you very much, John, for putting so much detail into that and giving us an insight as to uh, what might have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting to hear. It's always handy when we have people like John who, uh, who you know, this is their their bread and butter every day, flying these uh, these aircraft. So scary. Yeah, thanks again, John, scary for that. Armando, <laughs> you have got the next story uh, on the show this week. Yeah, this, this next story is uh, another close to home one. This is from Airways Magazine. Silver Airways uh, is facing eviction at Fort Lauderdale Airport, which you guys just talked about in the last episode as being um, Fort Lauderdale uh, International Lake. Um, I think APG talked about it too. Um, so this regional carrier, Silver Airways, uh, has been threatened with eviction from its passenger facilities at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Uh, the facility owners, which are Broward County, are, are due to meet uh, this week and vote whether to end the regional airline's lease agreement due to non-payment of fees dating back to 2021. Now, Silver Airways, if you guys don't know, operates uh, the ATR-42, ATR-72 turboprop aircraft, scheduled flights throughout the Caribbean, also domestically north, as far north as uh, South Carolina from Florida and Louisiana. Um, they... Oh, were once one of the only ATR or turboprop uh, operating regional carriers in this kind of regional jet dominated a a market. Um, but uh, according to some reports, uh, Broward County issued some default notices to Silver in January 2022 before rescinding it after some seemingly constructive discussions with the airline's financial controller. But then a promised payment plan failed to materialize later that year, and the owners of Fort Lauderdale Terminal C decided that that was enough. Um, it also, there were some reports that back in 2022, the airline had some similar problems in the Virgin Islands um, that they had to end, enter into a 12-month repayment plan with the Virgin Islands Port Authority. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's really interesting, and and the. <laughs> The reason I put this in there is during this age of pilot hiring and such a, a pilot's market, you know, we, we, especially if you're starting out in the industry, it's really important to choose where it is that you go to work. And 
I have worked at part 135 operators that are super sketchy, um, both on maintenance, on paying the bills. Uh, one operator that I worked for uh, briefly, they had outstanding bills at FBOs, fuel bills, tax bills, maintenance bills. Um, uh, my brother worked for an operator, a, a part 135 charter operation. And as a captain, as a PIC of, of his aircraft, I think at the time he was flying a Challenger, um, you get a credit card. And when that credit card started getting declined at, at FBOs for buying fuel, you know that there's something financially going on with the company that, that perhaps may not be recoverable. Um, so I, I, the reason I put this in there is everyone, everybody that wants to be in this career field, um, you know, Man, it is a dog eat dog world about where you gotta go work. And and if you get to fly an ATR for a part 135, that's that's a multi-engine turbine time. Uh, choose carefully because you have some sketchy operators like uh, like Silver and 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 some other ones that are notorious in the industry. Um, choose, choose carefully where you go to work because you <laughs> uh, they may not be around very much longer. <laughs> no, no, very true, very true. And a strike, rather striking livery on that um, particular. Love a bit of purple. Couldn't I? Can't, I'm just trying to see the silver. Yeah, <laughs> it's the yeah, I don't know. There's, the there's nothing silver about it except like their brand, some of their branding on the on the gates. The airplanes are all like hot pink. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember Silver Jet from back in the day, Nev? Uh, at uh, Stansted. Yes. Remember I them do. guys? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what were they operating? Was that a seven, seven six? six? Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was those long haul cheap seat posh seats, wasn't it? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It, yeah. Flew into Newark, didn't they? Yeah, yeah that's it. I think, and the chat room may correct me, but I think Silver Airways used to started out with Silver Saab three forties. I think there might have been some some old Colgan Air or something like that. But um, yeah, maybe that's where they came from. But mm. you know, we've seen some of these crazy liveries all over the world too. <laughs> Now, Nev, we're normally talking on the show about passengers fighting in the aisles on aircraft, but this week it's aircraft having fights. Well, as we always say, you know, the, the flying bit is pretty straightforward, getting the thing to go through the air, but the, the most dangerous part appears to be on the ground. Uh, on the aeropeep.com, it says that uh, two EVA Airways uh, planes were damaged after an Airbus A321-200 under tow collided with a Boeing 777-300ER parked on the tarmac at Taipei International Airport late in the evening of April the 16th. Both planes were empty at the time of the accident. According to pictures published by the Taiwanese media outlets, the wingtip of the A321 was embedded in the 777's fuselage under the cockpit. Uh, Ever Air confirmed, confirmed the incident on April the 17th, saying that they had suspended the employees responsible for the accident. Uh, then, if that wasn't enough, uh, on the 13th of April, um, an Emirates Boeing 777 collided with an Air Transat Airbus A330 at Miami International Airport. Uh, the Airbus A330-243 with registration Charlie Golf Uniform Bravo Lima had just arrived from Toronto as flight TS948 when it clipped its wings with a parked Emirates Boeing 777-300ER. That's not a clip. <laughs> at Alpha 6 Echo Golf Hotel. 
Uh, the Emirates 777 was parked in position Hotel 10 Alpha when the Air Transat A330's left winglet hit the right horizontal stabiliser of the Emirates aircraft. <laughs> the uh, A330 was taxiing, taxiing to gate Hotel 8 after landing. The Emirates flight was undergoing final departure preparations when the incident took place with most passengers already having uh, been on board the aircraft at the time. Uh, after the A330 impacted the triple seven passengers on board the Emirates flight were deplaned and flight uh, EK214 was cancelled soon after. That's such a surprise really, isn't it? Um, the Air Transat uh, A330 docked at its gate without issue and passengers disembarked. However, the return flight to Toronto TS949 was also cancelled. That's quite a lot of damage really, isn't it? I do, I mean, that, you know it's what? not clipped. That's that. I mean, that, that is. Do you know what, something that re what sprung to mind when Matt popped the pictures up on the screen there? The, the wing, the one with the 330 with the winglet on the Emirates aircraft was that's that's one of those accidents that you're never going to get away with, even if you think, oh, well, no one saw it, I can get away with this, because it actually left part of the winglet. Embedded. The, wing, the winglet is still there, look. In, if you look at there, it from the there, end, yes. It's there. <laughs> it's <laughs> you, been you, removed, yes. You, you couldn't exactly go, well, no one saw me. I'm yeah, okay, yeah. I'm okay. I mean, that, yeah, that is inside the... That, that's gone through the skin and everything, hasn't it? That is... That, oh, that, that one, Christ. I don't think... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Armando, but I don't think that one will buff out. Oh, uh, yeah, this wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the ground handlers were doing if there were if there were any, but <laughs> man, that's not even close. <laughs> Micah says I thought the guillotine was outlawed. <laughs> I tell you what, I bet I bet they weren't called wing walkers after this incident. <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> <clears throat> indeed. Quite. Anyway, mm. great pictures there as well. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll see more of these in the not too distant future. Armando. Uh, um, you have got the next story. Well, I, actually, I think we're going to skip the story, Carlos. Go, okay. uh, go straight to uh, C10. But before we do that, um, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about a story we're going to do next week? Yeah, I think, uh, um, Nev, actually, I think I'll, I'll sort of push it towards you. We've got a story that we were going to run this week, but actually we've decided we want uh, feedback from you on it, really, for next week. So uh, if Perhaps you could brief them, Nev, on uh, yes. what... Uh... Well, do you remember the last uh, British Airways safety video that came out a couple of years ago? There's a lot of mixed reaction to that, um, uh, mine being one of them, definitely. Well, you'll be pleased to know that they spent a lot more money and they've got a new safety video, so isn't that fantastic? So we're going to do a critique on that safety video on next week's show. But what I would like you to do in the meantime is go onto YouTube and you'll find it somewhere the latest British Airways safety video, which runs for about five minutes. And we would like your opinions, if you don't mind. Very much You can so. send them to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com as a starting point. And we'll read out some of the best and some of the worst uh, next week. Uh, yeah. We have our own opinion as well. We uh, do. But it's going to be an interesting few minutes when we discuss it that's all yeah absolutely I, i'm expecting quite a mixed bag uh, of opinions on <laughs> this one unfortunately uh now uh, armando moving on to the next story you were referring yeah. to you put a little plea out for that unfortunately i've had I, I, well i say unfortunately we've been we've had nine people who've sent messages straight in they've all sent me a picture 
of the one that's in the that's the one that's in the story <laughs> that we're covering anyway. So uh, well, very, yeah. very popular. Well, it's like uh, maybe we should crowdsource our our show notes. Um, <laughs> so you have all sent in this yeah. next story. This is actually close to home. This is uh, this is right here in North Carolina at a Raleigh Exec Airport, um, which is uh, KTTA. Um, early April, a pilot in North Carolina made their contribution to the growing body of sky art with a ballerina west of Raleigh-Durham. This was a Piper PA-28 uh, from the Wings of Carolina Flying Club. The entire flight path took about an hour to complete, which is actually pretty impressive. Uh, total flight time was an hour and 33 minutes. The finished drawing is about 25 miles tall by 11 miles wide. Now, as you guys can imagine, with the availability of uh, advanced flight planning software, such as SkyDemon, ForeFlight, Garmin Pilot, um, pilots operating smaller aircraft well and not so much because we've we've actually seen some uh the atlas 747 that did a pretty pretty great um uh sky art drawing on you know on their inaugural uh and last flight um but this you know it, it's increased the intricacy of sky art over the past few years and pilots of course use these flights to build their hours and improve their skills um as we look forward to you know the future and see what what people come up with i gotta admit this this is like the most intricate it is it's well the detail done it is the detail of it i mean it's a very recognizable image you wouldn't get that confused would you yeah you know and i would love to know the backstory of this I, i'm sure this uh well this is right around the corner so maybe i could reach out to the pilot and see mm. what their their uh their who their muse was and what their drive was to do this but but this this is honestly one of the better ones i've ever seen it is it's, it's absolutely incredible it's basically uh, um uh, you know i mean it's the maps that we've seen you know the the flight radar 24 trail if you like for any aircraft that we've all seen on uh on, detailed yeah and and it is literally a ballerina and there's no question of you know to the to the sort of the uh the right kinked leg uh, in the like the V formation on on the tippy toes. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's no ambiguity there of what it what it is, is there? It's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great indeed. Well, uh, speaking of crowdsourcing, I'm gonna throw it back to Nev here, and we're gonna end the show with uh, with our giveaway. Yes. Yes, we are. Um, so let's have a look what we're doing. Um, we uh, last week set a competition um, and uh, the prize is uh, a copy of Richard Pike's book called Phantom Boys. Uh, published by our friends at Grub Street Publishing. And the question was, um, which RAF base in Suffolk in the UK has a tornado, tornado as a gate guardian? The answer is RAF Marham. And I have the, uh, the answers in the uh, London uh, Biggin Hill <laughs> Well, that brings back some memories, Nev. That brings back some uh, memories. Yes, I must get a new hat, actually, as well. I've got an somewhere. So I'm just going to have a bit of a rommage around, and let's see uh, who comes out. We've got a number of the uh, uh, the correct answers. One's just dropped on the floor, so in all fairness, I'm just going to put that back in <laughs> and make sure that we have a full complement. Shenanigans. I call shenanigans. Revo. Don't start. Don't start. Right. 
I have picked the winner. The winner is Jonathan Warner. Wee. There we go. How about that? Jonathan? His wife will be horrified. Oh, <laughs> my word. Another book. Another book. Yeah. Um, so, Jonathan, uh, I'm not sure if we've got your address to hand, but it could yeah, you just we have. send me we, we've your got address it. in. Yeah. We haven't got it? Yeah. Right. He had a mug I recently. For... I have the address there. So. All right. Okay. We I have think the for the safety of the UK rail system, we should probably stop sending Jonathan Warner distractions, <laughs> right, Mev? That's, yeah. That's a, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some information about that um, uh, situation, by the way, with the, the Gate Guardian at uh, Mars. Um, on the 15th of October 2021, a team of Royal Engineers prepared the ground ready to accept the tornado, including the removal of the concrete pads uh, that uh, had the previous gate garden, guardian, the Victor Tanker, was positioned on. They set new concrete pads suitably spaced to fit the undercarriage of the tornado. Uh, and the registration uh, uh, Zulu Alpha 641 was previously located near to the air traffic control where it was used by the uh, RAF Marham Fire Station for pilot extraction training. How about that? And of course that does mean we have a new question uh, for this week and the prize for next week Ooh. is Harrier Boys by Bob Marston again from Grub Street Publishing fascinating insight into the operation of the Harrier from 1969 through to 1990 so that's a, a great book you know, all these books look absolutely gorgeous with their covers and things aren't they, 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 it's, they yeah. Yeah. But it's a great job it really is yeah. um, so we have a question for this week obviously the question is, in 2002, a Harrier jump jet ended up taking a dip in the North Sea at an air display. Um, but what town's beach did this event happen? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Don't forget, again. no answers in the chat room. No answers in the chat room. Uh, yeah, you've got to send it in as an email. You can't put it in the chat room. Uh, in 2002, a Harrier jump jet ended up taking a dip in the North Sea at an air display. But of which town's beach did this event happen? <laughs> Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address you need for your answers. We'll pick out the, uh, the winners and put them in the hat for next week. And your prize will be Harrier Boys by uh, Bob Marston. And there we go. Love that, yeah. Now, as you can probably uh, guess, we didn't do a caption this this week because we had such a, p a p busy show. Uh, never, uh, we thought we'd uh, miss that this week. So we'll caption yeah. this. We'll be back next week. Five minutes, uh, just saying. Well on the show. <laughs> okay, thanks, Matt. <laughs> Social media links and where can you find us on the old uh, uh, interweb? So we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, search for Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number. If you want to send a picture in for us to pop on the green screens behind me and Matt here, uh, send it to plus four four seven five seven. 2249166. If you want to email the show, send your competition entries in for the book. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And the website, all the w's.plaintalkinguk.com, is where you can find more info on us, all the relative links uh, to the show, the YouTube page. And also, there's our shop on there where you can buy your very own p2k t-shirt with the embroidered logo uh, on the front and the print on the back uh, we got some fresh ones in from the printers last week so if you haven't already got yourself a t-shirt they are a hundred percent of the finest cotton that you can purchase and it, they can be yours along with 
the military grey mugs, which uh, Jonathan Warner uh, actually has one in his possession now, and our PTUK mugs as well. You can buy them through our shop on there so get yourselves over to there and also on our website there's the links if you want to become a patreon of the show or a paypal donator on the show and help uh, well help or push the show forward as you guys and girls do each month with all the content that we've got as nev said at the start of the show we are off to uh, edinburgh next wednesday so if any of you listeners are in and around uh, the uh, what's the name of the museum again nev it's uh, the... the national um then you put me on the spot there <laughs> well, i've got my fluffy mic in my hand um it's the um museum that's at east fortune that's uh, it on the east coast of just outside edinburgh so uh, yes carl tonight will be there on wednesday of next week uh, from probably 11 30 ish yeah. something like that and if anybody is around and you would like to meet us up there we shall be there for the remainder of the day yeah it'd be great to see you i'm going to say a big thanks again to chris our guest at the beginning of the show uh, Chris Wilson, the uh, squadron leader from RF Cosford. Good to talk to him at the beginning of the show. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see some of you guys and girls over RF Cosford uh, later on this year for the air show in June. We look forward to that very much indeed. Uh, but uh, that is about all we've got time for this week on episode 453 of the show. Thanks, Armando, for uh, joining us as always this week. Are you going to be back on next week? Fingers crossed, hopefully. That's yeah, that's the plan right now. I don't have a whole lot going on next week. Good, good. Nev, what's going on in the world of Mr. B? Well, obviously Wednesday you're coming to yes. see see me in Edinburgh, well, but um, all over the country. I, I should be in Wales on uh, Monday and Tuesday, and then Edinburgh on Wednesday with you, and still in Edinburgh on Thursday for some work. Flying back on Friday, so it'll be interesting to see whether the BA are using their new safety video. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That's in May. I'm not sure whether they'll do it yet. But I can't can't wait for next week's show for the critique of it. Oh blimey! Look forward to that, Matt. What's uh, going on in the world of uh, you next week? Um, so not really a not next week. I've got quite an exciting weekend ahead. This weekend, it's best friend number one's birthday. I'm off to a brewery um, in Trouse um tomorrow afternoon so looking forward to that uh, and then sunday uh it's rapidly approaching best friend number two's birthday so i'm off to stanstead to go and see him so i've got a very sociable weekend oh. ahead which i'm very much looking forward to it has to be well said. let's hope the weather stays nice and yeah dry. yeah right okay i mean we are we are going to be very close to duxford so i do feel like we should Ooh. probably go and uh, go and have a nose around there because we haven't done that for a little while because he's not been about lately bless him so so uh, yeah, we might we we might torture him with a trip to uh, to uh, to there. Yeah, I reckon. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well worth it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, indeed. As oh, I said, we've, I... sorry, we've had a late entry, by the way, oh. Armando, um, to the uh, the uh, plain trails, as I like to call them. Here we go. They're, somebody's written "Make beer, not war." In, in, yeah. <laughs> in I love that. That's really cool. Uh, I can't. That is a good one. I can't see who that was sent in five. Let me have a look. Oh, Dirk. Dirk S sent that one in. Uh, thank you, Dirk. I like that. Much appreciated. Yeah. Think, As yeah, you were. That was that was in Eastern Europe somewhere. I think I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you're right. Yes. Very Definitely. Good. Right. Sorry, Carlos. Well, carry on. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that that's that is. About, I'll be in Edinburgh um, Monday, Tuesday, and obviously Wednesday with Nev. So I'm I'm away all next week. I'll be back um, back here in the old uh, 
village on Thursday, all being well after my long four million thousand kilometre mile journey back from Edinburgh. Oh, how I'm looking forward to driving along the A1. Anyway, running a little over. Sorry. Oh, that's it for episode <laughs> four, five, three from me, Carlos, here in the home studio, from Matt in the PTK Master Suite Studios, from Nev in his glorious home studios, and from Armando over in Charlotte in the US of A. Take care. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Friday. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.